We've already sung these words in the paraphrase 32, and we're going to read them now from the Word of God. Habakkuk chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 17 right through to 19. And if you can't find Habakkuk, get a hold of Matthew, and you just work your way back until you eventually come. And uh, for our American listeners, I'm well aware that you pronounce this book Habakkuk, and whether you pronounce it Habakkuk or Habakkuk, uh, the Lord richly bless you as you tune in today and listen to our broadcast. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Reading, of course, from the authorized version, let's hear the word of the Lord. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds' feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places, to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this very short reading of his own infallible and inerrant word. Now, my text today is taken from Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And my theme today is entitled, The Bountiful Praise for a Personal Revival. Habakkuk the prophet has become greatly disturbed, at least in his heart and mind, as he ponders the prevailing sins in the land of Judah. Iniquity abounds. Immorality is on the increase. Idolatry, it's widespread. And Habakkuk, the man of God, he's concerned. His people seem to have no time for or thought for the word of God, the ways of God, the worship of God, or the will of God. They have no interest in listening to God or his word. He's not only disturbed, but he is a discerning man of God. Because he knows that sin pays wages. And he knows that sin will bring the judgment of God down upon the land and its people. So what Habakkuk does is he makes a decision. Given this distress of heart and mind. Given this discernment that he has. He makes a decision. And his decision is to begin to pray. He talks to the Lord. And he prays for a long time. And he gets no answer. And he's wrestling with God in prayer and he's crying out, Are you listening, Lord? Lord, why have you not answered me? Why are you not dealing with sin in the land? And as he prays for a long time, Habakkuk becomes then very passionate for real revival. He doesn't want a man-centered revival or or a man-promoting revival or a man-presented revival, but he wants a real, true revival of true Bible-believing religion in the land, a a real revival that centers in the Lord. So you think of this man becoming passionate about revival. 
And he's continuing in prayer and he's being prayerful for revival. Have we already read that in Habakkuk chapter 3 and 2? O Lord, I've heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. What does he long for in that prayer? He longs that the word of God will be heard. He longs that the fear of the Lord will become a felt reality in the land of Judah. He wants the purposes of God to be made plain. In the midst of all this explosion and sea of iniquity. He wants the power of God to be felt. So that the tribes will unite with one heart and mind before the Lord. And they would no longer experience the hiding of God's power. Or the postponement of revival. He wants the people to comprehend something of the wrath of God. To have a true hatred for sin and a love for righteousness and an eye to holiness unto the Lord. And he wants that to be grasped and understood. He wants the knowledge of God to the people will see that God sees me. And God knows all about me, my thoughts, my words, my actions, my deeds. And that God hears all. He wants the mercy of God. So you think of him praying, and he's praying about all these aspects to do with the Lord. And there he's wrestling. And as I've said, he prayed for a long time and got no answer. And then eventually the Lord did answer. And he became even more perplexed, more confused. God is going to raise up the Babylonians and let them come into the land of Judah, invade this land, destroy this land, kill many, take its people captive. Israel's going to be defeated by them. And, and then he, he prays more about that and, and the Lord tells him then that, that eventually when the Babylonians' cup of iniquity is full, that the Lord will bring them down into the depths of destruction. Habakkuk can't fully understand this. He can't grasp what God is doing or going to do to Judah. He's baffled. Baffled by the providences of God. Baffled by the plan of God. To him it's a, a, it's a strange plan. And yet what does he do? He continues in prayer. He further waits on the Lord. He knows that God is sovereign. He knows that God is sovereign in all things. Events and people and times and nations. He knows that God is a righteous and wise and true judge of all the earth. He knows that he's a covenant keeping God toward his people. So here's Habakkuk. And we have already been introduced to him many, many weeks ago. And we started off with a man who was trembling for fear because of the explosion of sin in the land of Judah and as he trembles before the Lord we're thinking about him now at the end having become passionate for revival having been prayer for revival having centered on the great principles of revival and having longing for the uh, manifestation of God's power we see the man now at the end and he's triumphant through faith. He is confident in the ways and the truth of the Lord. He's no longer worried about the state of the land. He's now waiting on the Lord. And he's no longer baffled and confused. He is 
thinking of the word of God and the will of God. And he's thinking about God's ways. Isn't this what Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 55 and verse 8? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Habakkuk, this man, is now worshipping the Lord. He's come through a period of sighing. He's come through a period of silence. But now at the end, he's singing. He's singing God's praise. The conditions haven't changed. The sin is still there. Circumstances of life for Habakkuk haven't changed. But Habakkuk himself has been changed. He's been transformed. He's now living and walking and worshipping the Lord by faith. He's now living and leaning on the wonderful promises of God. And he makes this remarkable statement at the end. What does he say? Though the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the floods the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stall. Yet, despite all that, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he makes my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. And then he adds this little bit to the chief singer in my stringed instrument. It's as if he's saying to the chief singer who's leading the choir in the temple worship, here, sing about that. I want us to think of that this morning. The bountiful praise for a personal revival. And like Habakkuk, I want us to be fully resolved to rejoice in the Lord Whatever the circumstances. Because when everything else fails, the Lord doesn't fail, forget, or forsake his people. When I thought of this passage of scripture, I not only wrestled with the title, but I wrestled with the passage. And there were three things came to mind. I have here, I see here, a picture of complete failure. Look at verse 17 very carefully. It's a remarkable picture. Of complete failure. Is there not agricultural failure here? You think of a farm. Think of every aspect of farming life being affected. Failure on a massive scale. Not only one farmer in Judah. But farmers all over the land of Judah. And and they're all experiencing the same failure. And, and, And it's as if the agricultural world in Judah has collapsed. We would say, well, this is a life-changing situation for these farmers and their families. And it impacts greatly on the life of the country. This is the most terrible of calamities. An overwhelming sense of failure and loss. The fig trees will not blossom. In other words, the fig harvest has failed. There's no fruit in the vine. There's no grapes. The grapes have failed. The labor of the olive, despite the hard work and the effort to to produce an olive harvest, the olive trees have no olives, there's failure. It, It tells us here, and the fields shall yield no meat. There's been crop failure in a massive scale. Whatever that crop has been in the land of Judah, it would be oak and wheat and barley, and they have all failed. 
And in our land it would be, say, potatoes and cabbages and turnips and carrots. And they also have all failed. I trust that you're getting the picture. And added to that, there's no animals being born. What does he tell us? The flock shall be cut off from the fold. And there shall be no herd in the stall. In other words, the animals have become diseased. The animals have died. The the, the stalls are empty. There's no herd at all. Or he's thinking about the Babylonians coming in and sweeping through the land and taking every animal, every sheep and every camel and every ox and, and their calves and they're gone. It's a picture of complete failure. A picture of grave calamity. Every farm facing the same failure of their crops, the loss of their animals, their livelihood gone. Is that not the stuff of nightmares? Could you imagine that on a massive scale in Northern Ireland? See, it all has to do with a picture of agricultural failure. Loss on a massive scale. You think of that, because that would impact on every walk of life. If the farms failed, then many businesses would go bust. Investments, I believe, would also fail. There could be massive unemployment. The, 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 the country would be crippled. You, you think of the, the, the absence of food, poverty and famine, and, and, and debt, and physical and mental health being affected. You see, it's a picture of loss on a massive scale. There's agricultural failure here. But also, there's a picture of aggressive uncertainty. You see, there's a deeper message here than mere failure. You've got here the uncertainty of life. See, everything is prone to change. Everything's prone to decay. Circumstances will change. Nothing stays the same forever. Here's a message for us this morning. Hard times will come. Even to the best of God's people. Even to the best in the land. Problems will arise. Hardships will appear. We'll struggle with health issues. We'll face unemployment. Financial pressures will be upon us. We'll be pondering at times how will we pay the bills. Relationships will break down. And many families will find it hard to cope and go through dark valleys. I have a love for farming. Many of you know that. I come as a boy from a farming background though the farm was sold to placate the bank. Do you know that sheep farmers expect lambs to die? Isn't that amazing? They expect to lose a few lambs, even a few yos. Do you know that dairy farmers live with the expectation that the odd cow will take E. coli and die? That the odd heifer would break a leg and have to be put down. You see, farmers have the tenacity and the ability to live with an earnest uncertainty with life. In other words, they live their life as a farmer in light of expecting uncertain things to happen. The Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. Isn't this something that the Apostle James brought up in the book of James, in James chapter 4? What does he tell us there in verse 13? He tells us something very interesting. He's thinking of the 
Christians in his day and generation. And he's thinking of their mindset. And this is what he, he, he says there in James chapter 4 and in the verse 13. Something amazing. Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Here's his advice. Whereas you know not what shall be in the morrow. You have said you're going to do this, but you don't know what will be in the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. You, you see, everything in life is subject to the will of God. And we don't know what will be in the morrow. In Luke 12, wasn't there the story told by the Lord Jesus of a farmer planning to pull down his barns and build bigger and better? He was thinking of many years to come. He was thinking of taking his ease. He said to himself, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you'll die. And what did the Lord Jesus say? Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. In other words, the man died suddenly and left it all. And folks, life can be like that. Health and strength in one minute and then sickness strikes. You can have plenty one minute and then face poverty the next and suffer great loss. The reality of life is that things do go wrong. And it will affect families. And it will affect you personally. It will affect the community. It affects the church. And that's the lot of us all. Even God's children were not exempt. Jesus said in the world you should have tribulation but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16 and 33. We're not free from trials and troubles. We must expect change. We must live in light of change. For change will come. How do we react when change comes? Do we get angry? Do we shout at the Lord? Do we murmur and complain? Do we turn from him and blame him and say, It's your fault, Lord. I'm giving up on you. Well, that's not what Habakkuk did. Habakkuk wrestled with the Lord. Are you there, Lord? Are you answering, Lord? Lord, why are you not dealing with sin? Lord, how could you do that? Are you sure you're not making a mistake? See, all the while, Habakkuk was wrestling with the Lord and prayer. He never lost sight of the Lord. And that's important. We were singing, never lose sight of Jesus. And there's a good thing that you could do as you go into the, the new year. Keep your eyes in him. Yes, you're walking a dark path right now. Yes, you're facing uncertainty. Yes, you're in a valley. Yes, you're struggling. And we understand that. I understand that. But what do we do in that situation? We accept this aggressive uncertainty. Things are not always the same. But we keep our eyes on the Lord. Could I suggest something else in this portion? It also accepts man's inability. You think of this crop failure. Animals dying. Farmers facing ruin. What would a farmer do in that situation? Well, he wouldn't just sit back and put his hands in his pockets and say, well, oh, there's nothing I can do. No, if he's a wise and good farmer, he will not just sit back and let it happen. He will attempt to deal with the situation as best as he can. He will try and do his best for his crops and to save his animals, get the vet out. Use medication. And yet when he's done all, every farmer has to accept his inability to do anything more. When he has done his best and done all that he could, he has no control 
of the outcome. It's ultimately in the hands of the Lord. You see, we are creatures and we're dependent on the Lord and in him we move and live and have being. Can we make the sun to shine? Can a farmer do that? Can a farmer make the rain to fall when he wants it to fall? It usually pours when he doesn't want it. And usually the sun's splitting the sky when he wants rain. Can the farmer make the seed to grow in the ground regardless of the seed? Potatoes, carrots, cabbages, or wheat or rye or barley? He can't. The farmer can't give life. Who gives life? Well, God, young people, who holds your breath? It's the Lord. Who gives breath to the animals? It's God. Who causes the sun to shine, the rain to fall, the crops to grow? Even the grass. Do we think of that? It's the Lord. How, how do I know that? Have I just d- decided that? Did the late Dr. Paisley teach me that? Or, or, or did I get it out of a book? Well, I did get it out of a book, but it's God's book. Listen to the word of God. Psalm 104, verse 14. He, that's the Lord, causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man that he may bring forth food out of the earth. You see, man has to accept his inability. And there's things a farmer can do, and there's things he can't do. And despite his best effort of working the ground, his best planning, his best preparation, he remembers the harvest will fail. And he's utterly dependent on the Lord for all its outcome, whether it's a bumper or a blighted harvest. Remember what Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 55 and 10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not hither but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I have sent it. See, you're getting the picture now. A picture of complete failure. Agricultural failure. Aggressive uncertainty is befallen the land. Man has to accept his inability. And also there's something else here. There's an admission of material loss. Today many put the emphasis on material things. That's how they measure prosperity. But you think of not the riches and wealth of this world, not not money in the bank, but you think of a situation where, where those riches are taken away. When your money in the bank is depleted, where you're maybe penniless, You think of the economy crashing. You you think of a a world recession. Or as Sammy the seer tells me, it's a depression that's coming. And it's the worst depression in living memory. It makes the Wall Street crash of the 1920s peel into insignificance. Not only has there been agricultural failure, but there's businesses have failed all over the, the country. Livelihoods have been wiped out. Physical anguish, mental anguish. You you think of the level of our government's borrowing. It's at an all-time high. Interest rates breaking through the roof. 
See, see, what are we learning? Material things don't last. One day we will be taken from them. One day we'll leave them all behind. Here's a picture of complete failure. Agriculturally, with this ungressive uncertainty, man's inability to do anything beyond his control, admitting that material things are only material things and we could be taken from them, we leave them behind, or, or they will not last. Now let me ask the question, suppose you have fallen in hard times right now. How do you respond? Habakkuk's thinking of hard times. And how did he respond? What did he do when everything collapsed around him? Everything's a complete failure. Notice the second thing here in the text. It's a picture of confident faith. Look at verse 18. What does he tell us there? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Here's a man who's rejoicing in the Lord despite this picture of complete failure. This man is possessed and gripped by a wonderful sense, not only of God's pardon from all his sins, but a wonderful sense of God's peace in his soul. Does the Bible not say in Isaiah 26 and 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed in thee, because he trusteth in thee? This man has got a confident faith in God and in God's salvation. Think of the language here. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. You're saying, but is this man indifferent to all the failure around him? No. Is this man devoid of any feeling and any thought of this picture of complete failure? No. Is this man turning a blind eye to all that's going on? Is this man like the ostrich burying his head in the sand? Is this man without a tear or without a sense of brokenness and without a heartache? No. That man has all these things. He feels this in his soul. Think of the word yet. It's a contrast. In the midst of this picture of complete failure, yet I've got a confident faith. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. See, this man has a real, true inner Joy and peace. His life is fixed in the Lord. He can still rejoice in the Lord. His confidence is in the Lord as God. He talks here about the God of his salvation. Think of the words. I will joy in the God of my salvation. See in this day of uncertainty. This day of calamity. In a day when, when all is changing around him. You know what? His God hasn't changed. There's no change in God's salvation. Amid all the changes in life, there's some things that never change and God doesn't change. See, Habakkuk's thinking of God's glorious person. He uses the word Lord here, the God of the covenant. Notice the capital letters. He's thinking of God's power. He's thinking of God's provision. He's thinking of God's pardon. He's thinking of God's promises. And he reminds himself that my God is not subject to change. My God doesn't grow old. My God doesn't grow weary. My, my God doesn't waste away. You, you think of what's written in the book of um, Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Did Malachi not say in Malachi 3 and 6, I am the Lord. I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. You see, Habakkuk's already mentioned God in this chapter. And he's mentioned in verse 6, his ways are everlasting. He's thinking about the everlasting God. He's thinking about God's everlasting covenant, the covenant of redemption. Listen to what King David said. Here's a reference, 2 Samuel 23 and verse 5. Although my house be not so with God. Maybe you have members of your family and they're not saved and they're not walking with the Lord and they're living in sin. And they, they have a different mind to you have and they have a different worldview. Listen to what David said. 2 Samuel 23 and 5. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure. And this is all my salvation and all my desire. Although he make it not to grow. That's David's testimony. My salvation doesn't change. My strength comes from the Lord. And the Lord gives me a song in the night season. See, the child of God is not promised a trouble-free life. The true Christian, he too has loads of problems. The true Christian will also face change within his own life personally and in the life of his family. But if you have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can face those changes because you have a confident faith in him. You, 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 your trust is in the Lord. That's why Paul could say for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Could I tell you this morning, I don't believe this is a vague statement. I believe that Habakkuk was in a personal living relationship with the Lord. And he knew that his salvation was unbreakable and unchangeable. He, he knew the Lord personally. He, 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 he was trusting in him. This is not just a good idea, young people. Not just a concept. Not just mere words devoid of reality. The, 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 the Habakkuk, the prophet, knew the Lord. And, and, and he knew that the Lord knew him. It's like what Paul says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ dwells in me. And I dwell in Christ. That's the thought. I have a relationship with the Lord. And the Lord is a relationship with me. In a world of failure. In a world of uncertainty. In a world where change is inevitable. You've got an unchangeable redeemer. With an unbreakable, unchangeable salvation. Folks, the world is collapsing all around us. Today we face unseen events. They're unfolding before our eyes. You, you think of the, the health crisis in the United Kingdom. You think of misinformation by the government on a, on a massive scale. Finances being affected. The world is changing. And what should we do? We should turn to the one who's not subject to change. The one who says, I'll, I'll never fail you nor forsake you. The one who has promised not to forget us. The one who's a sure saviour. The one who's a sweet saviour, a sufficient saviour, a strong saviour. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. He's thinking of the God of the covenant. He's thinking of Jehovah, the living and the true God. He calls him the God of my salvation. He's thinking of one who's self-sufficient. He's thinking of the self-existent one, the everlasting one. And what do you need this morning? Amid the changes of life, preparation for 2021, when well, you need the Lord more than anyone else. 
Do you know him? Have you trusted him? Is he your Lord and Savior? Can you testify like, like Habakkuk here? Even though you're wrestling with the Lord. And even though you're struggling in many areas. Can you say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. You need the Lord this morning. You need your sins forgiven, washed in the blood. You need God's salvation from sin's penalty, sin's power, sin's pleasure, sin's presence. You need to turn to the Lord. You need to trust him completely. You need to be made ready for God's eternity. Let me give you this biblical illustration. Turn over there to the book of Job. You'll you'll find it just before the book of Psalms. Job 19 and 25. I want you to think of these words. This is what Job says. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and they will stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. I want you to think of Job. And what does he say here? For I know that my Redeemer liveth. Now do you know this young people that Job was a wealthy farmer? He was the greatest farmer in the east of all time. And one day his entire flock of sheep were destroyed. One day his entire flock of camels, in fact it was the same day, they were destroyed. One day his entire flock of oxen were destroyed. In that same day, news came that a whirlwind or a tornado had hit the house where his um, seven sons and three daughters were. And it destroyed the house and every one of them was killed. Now you, you think of a servant coming and saying, Master, fire fell from heaven and burned up the sheep. And then another servant coming and saying, Master, the Sabaeans came and killed all the camels and slaughtered your servants. I'm the only one left. Master, another one comes and says, Master, the Chaldeans have come, those Babylonians, those barbarians, and they have slaughtered all the oxen, and they have slaughtered your servants. And then another one comes and says, Master, Master, tears streaming down his face, broken in heart. And what's he saying? Master, every son and daughter's dead. The house is destroyed. Come and see. And then eventually Job, he ends up with sickness. And he's got giant boils all over his body. And he wants to scratch them with a bit of pottery. And his three friends come. And they sit for seven days in silence. And then tell him, Job, this calamity's all come because you have secretly sinned against the Lord. And his wife says to Job, what? Curse God and die. Blame him, it's his fault. Now this wealthy farmer... That's complete failure. Wouldn't you say that? And what does he say? For I know that my Redeemer liveth. My Redeemer. You see, Job could face this complete failure because he had a confident faith in the Lord. You know, the unsaved have nowhere to go when complete failure comes. When their wee world collapses in around them and everything falls apart, what do they do? Well, they go to the booze. They, they go to the drugs. They, 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 they get depressed and down and, uh, and maybe even run for uh, the, the whole thought of suicide. But the Christian, the true child of God, he goes to the Lord. That's confident faith. 
yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now, I asked you, that's what you need. Do you have that confident faith? Can you talk about my Redeemer? Have you a testimony this morning? Are you saved? Let me close finally. It's a picture of contented fullness. If you look at the verse uh, 19, it says, The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. See, there's three things here in this contented fullness. There's rest in the day of trouble. There's a rejoicing in the day of trouble. And there's a reliance in the day of trouble. Where, where do you get strength from when your wee world collapses in around you? When you feel you can't go on, will you go to the Lord? The Lord God is my strength. Strength to wrestle in prayer. Strength to wait. Strength to worship. It's not going to change. The Babylonians are still coming. Sin will still be punished. But, but, but Job uh, 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 could testify, I know that my Redeemer loved So could Habakkuk. Uh, and he was prepared to he- hold on to the Lord. Do you know why? Because he accepted this thought. The Lord God is everything I need. Could you not adopt that thought this morning that Jesus Christ is everything I need? Jesus Christ is everything that we need for today, tomorrow. For the day of judgment that's yet to come. Can I ask this? Has Jesus Christ anything to you this morning? Whatever you face today. In a world of deception. In a world of despair. In a world of depravity. In our country's in trouble in many ways. But trouble spiritually. It's without the Lord. It's forgotten the Lord. It's not listening to the word of God. This wee country needs to be brought to its knees. And is there anyone can help us? And the answer is the Lord. There's contented fullness here. I, is nobody said in verse 16? I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. And then he tells us, I will rejoice in the Lord. He's still thinking about the same day, the day of trouble. And then he says, the Lord God is my strength. That's his reliance in the day of trouble. That's contented fullness. I wrapped this little message up this morning, almost like a Christmas present, as if some of the girls were boxing it up, putting it in paper and putting a bow on it. Here's a picture of complete failure, but a picture of a confident faith that brought about a contented fullness, resting, rejoicing, and relying on the Lord. The Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for coming and thank you for listening. And if I can be of any help to any soul, then please feel free to contact.